0: There's a real constraint in America around payment systems. They're too, there's too much friction in our payment systems, and so to the extent that you could have something like a Venmo really expands, maybe it comes from PayPal, but they'd have to partner with somebody else, I think, because uh, on the user interface side. But like a Venmo-style payment system that creates a lot less friction for different flavors of payments. I mean, I can use WeChat with a street vendor with a QR code in China to buy something, and that's a not possible with a credit card and even the process i use with a credit card today in america is highly more cumbersome than being at a restaurant opening up wechat and just having them read my code and i pay for my my meal so I think it's the friction in the payment system that needs to be reduced to really have a level of these things taking off in America and which app that gets embedded in. I think it'll be a new app more likely than an existing, but a Venmo possibly, uh, or uh, you know, possibly something like an Instagram with some of the things I think they're trying to do could be other examples.
1: Welcome to The Syndicate, the podcast about the investors behind the overnight successes. It takes years. It takes money. On this show, we interview the top angel investors, venture capitalists, and startups to share what it really takes to succeed with startup investing. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, and angel investor. And I believe startups are the future, and angel investing is the best way to build real, true wealth. To find out more about us, please visit thesyndicate.vc. But now, let's get on with the show. I just wanted to thank today's show sponsor again, Pitney Bowes. Pitney Bowes makes a software called SendPro Online. It's something that makes e-commerce merchants' lives easier, helps them save time and money by comparing the rates, USPS, UPS, FedEx, all in one place and printing out your labels. You'll save 40% over the traditional postal service flat rates, which are in fact going up on January 27th, 2019, which means if you're listening to this now, you're probably paying too much on shipping. I know I was with my old e-commerce company, and thank God I don't have to do it now because the costs keep rising. And rising and rising. Send pro online by Pitney Bowes. It can help you save time and money and make your business more efficient. PB.com slash angel for more details and a free 30-day trial. Hey guys, welcome to the Syndicate, the show where we get the world's most elite and interesting investors. Today we've got one of them with a cool story as well. Matt Macle Matt McElwain on the program. I got it on the second try. Thanks for coming today, Matt.
0: Thanks for be- having me.
1: So you're the managing director over at Madrona, and I've heard some good things about the firm. So I wanted to quickly cover them before I got into the the meat and potatoes, so to speak. So what's your story? How'd you get here? What's Madrona like?
0: Well, sure. So we will start with Madrona. Madrona is an early stage venture capital firm based up in Seattle, Washington. And we have uh, been around for 24 years now. Uh, started in 1995 and are investing out of Madrona Fund 7, uh, which is a $300 million fund. That's pretty consistently been the size of funds that we've raised over the years. Our focus is to be investors from the earliest of stages all the way through the long run of the journey. So from day one for the long run is the way that we talk about it. We have a geographic focus that's principally companies that are based in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Uh, So we do have a bias towards this region, although we have made successful investments over the years outside of the region, but probably 80, 85% of our investments are in the Pacific Northwest.
1: So we'll jump back into that in a sec, but you had a great blog post, which got almost no traction on Medium, but I thought it was super valuable. So you just went to China recently. Tell me a little bit about it.
0: Well, Well, thanks for asking about that. Yeah. So, uh, well, so I've been here for 18 years and have been uh, uh, investing in uh, a lot of companies that are are software driven, but some businesses that are consumer facing as well. And I felt like I hadn't been to China for a few years and it was going to be really important to see what is happening with the state of innovation in China. What are the trends there? Not because we're looking to invest in China, but we're looking to learn and understand from being in China, you know, what things might be brought back into the North American market. And one of the things that I was particularly impressed with, in uh, it to some fantastic entrepreneurs that I got a chance to meet with was the mobile only type of business model where you're literally, you know, interfacing both in your digital world and your physical world through your mobile device. Let's take a company called Luckin Coffee. This is a company that you can only order on a mobile device. It's a coffee shop kind of competing with Starbucks in China but there's you order mobily you you know can pick up mobily you can get delivery it'll know where you are because of your location on your mobile device of course you pay with something like we pay or Alipay. it's a total mobile solution kind of the way we we think of how we experience Uber here in the United States, but with a super simple frictionless process. And I think there's some learnings in that to bring back to America.
1: Certainly not the brand name, but definitely the strategy and the story. Yep. So what, what what did you go over to China expecting to see? And what were the what were the most interesting or huge uh, biggest takeaways for you?
0: Yeah, well, I was focused really on three areas. One is in, like in this example of luck and coffee, the intersection between my digital life as a consumer and the physical world and how those those two are increasingly being rethought through to create better, more compelling solutions. Second thing, I was looking for interesting applications of, of artificial intelligence and machine learning. That's an area we've been investing in for many years now. There's a great deal of depth in Seattle and ML and AI. I wanted to see some of the applications, see what might be different in China. There were some differences. I think they're out ahead on in some respects in terms of image-based applied machine learning and AI. Companies like Face plus, plus companies like Sense, Time, and others. We can come back to that. The third is, and this is partly a personal interest, but it is also an interest that applies to some of our infrastructure companies is, how am I taking some of these cloud technologies and applied MLA, AI technologies into biotech and healthcare? We don't do biotech investing per se at Madrona, but a number of our companies, companies like Cumulo and Igneous on the infrastructure side are used to do you know, digital use of kind of understanding, you know, identifying, Uh, pathology reports, for example. And so I really wanted to understand how it worked and spent some time at a terrific place called BGI, which is the Beijing Genomic Institute. It's actually based in Shenzhen, uh, meeting with them. And partly out of the fact that I'm also on the board of the Cancer Research Center here in Seattle. And and so we're we're doing a partnership with BGI as well. So that was the three-pronged pieces of the trip. I think the most interesting thing was this image-based use of applied MLAI. Some of that might be you know, uh, very kind of uh, interesting and exciting for all of us because we say, oh, I can do more simply. Things like have my face recognition allow me into, you know, kind of a secure store, like a bingo box where I can go in and it's an autonomous store where there's no employees. I can do shopping similar to Amazon Go. Some of it's a little bit freaky because literally companies, technologies from companies like SenseTime are tracking people wherever they go or tracking their cars wherever they are in major metropolitan areas. And, you know, there's government involvement with all that too.
1: Did you see any of the earliest stages of the social credit system getting rolled out?
0: You know, I didn't really pick up on that explicitly uh, implicitly, uh, I mean, I was, became a very Avid and active user of WeChat, not just for communication, but also for paying with my WePay and also, you know, learning the capabilities with some of the mini apps on on WeChat. I definitely heard stories of people saying, hey, you know, if I send something on WeChat that would hurt my social score, sometimes people even get blocked from using WeChat for some number of days. So there's a very active dynamic going on there, but I didn't see it other than that indirect set of references.
1: When was the last time you were in China?
0: Uh, prior to Before this- Before that- Prior to the trip in October, it had been like six years prior, so it had been too long.
1: So it had been it had been forever in Chinese yeah. time, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Did you notice? It seems like China initially started with a copycat type model and has outpaced the U.S. in a lot of industries lately.
0: Well, I think um, uh, I guess I would say take it say it two ways slightly differently. I think there's some very energized and hard-working entrepreneurs. That are running at a very fast pace in China, and I think that that's most equivalent to the kinds of entrepreneurs that we and others work with in the United States. But there certainly is a equivalency of hard work, dedication, do what it takes to be successful. The other thing I'd say is, in some of these technology areas, which I think is a little bit what you're getting at, you know, in both the technologies themselves, like image-based, you know, you know, deep learning models and the applications of those, and actually the businesses that are being built around those, you know, is there some you know kind of of out innovation going on in China, you know, in different in different categories. And I think that that especially with those mobile only systems where it's sort of an end to end solution for the consumer with some kind of, you know, experience or service that they want to have. I think there's some pretty cool things happening in China.
1: Do you think we'll see similar stuff here? Will WhatsApp become your everything OS? Will Uber become the way you live your life?
0: I don't know if those would be the two Apps, I would point to, I think you'd have a better shot at something like, uh, you know, maybe Instagram uh, be- becoming more of that, you know, you know, I think Facebook probably less so, but for an I think part of the, there are two, there's two bigger constraints here. One is that we, it's almost going to take a new kind of service because the services that exist to date tend to have, are be are sort of locked in their usage models more so. So I think that's one piece. The other is there's a real constraint in America around payment systems. There are too, There's too much friction in our payment systems. And so to the extent that you could have something like a Venmo really expand, so maybe it comes from PayPal, but they'd have to partner with somebody else, I think, because on the user interface side, but like a Venmo style payment, payment system that creates a lot less friction for different flavors of payments. I I can use WeChat with a street vendor with a QR code in China to buy something. And that's just not possible with a credit card. And even the process I use with a credit card today in America is highly more cumbersome than being at a restaurant, opening up WeChat, and just having them read my code and I pay for my, my meal. So I think it's the friction in the payment system that needs to be reduced to really have a level of these things taking off in America. And which app that gets embedded in, I think it'll be a new app more likely than an existing, but a Venmo possibly, uh, or uh, you know, possibly something like an Instagram with some of the things I think they're trying to do. Could be other examples.
1: You got to have that. You got to have that network effect and scale as well. Do you think? Uh, do you think it's been held back in the U.S. because of customer behavior, or do you think it's been more the the finance industry wanted to keep their claws in that? If we're, if we're I being think, honest,
0: I think in that constraint, it's more the finance industry. I mean, there's some you know embedded. You know, we're used to doing ways the way things the way we do them in America. So I think there's some of, of that inertia factor, you know, you know, I think we all see it in our lives, you know, something new comes along, are we really ready to embrace it? But I think that the finance industry has worked really hard on on this one to kind of, you know, keep control of the interchange fees and the bank issuing fees and, the uh, you know, the payer fees and all those sorts of things. I mean, the other piece is that I think in America, there's been other places where people have focused to do innovation. Think about what Amazon is doing with Amazon Go as an example. I mean, there's nothing that's the quality of the Amazon Go experience experience in China today. And I looked at a lot of those types of things, you know, like I referenced Bingo Box, Homa Stores is another good example, which is spelled H-E-M-A, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Alibaba. A Humma store is closest to Amazon Go and what they're trying to do. It's ahead, I think, in terms of mobile ordering, like 50% of all things that are bought out of a Humma store and sort of picture a Whole Foods, you know, but but with 50% of the purchases being ordered outside through a mobile phone and then delivered, you know, within 30 minutes or less with a, you know, delivery driver, you know, on a motorcycle. That's kind of the Humma model. So let's look to see where the Amazon folks go between both Whole Foods and Amazon Go stores over time. That's where I see some interesting competitive of, you know kind of dynamics
1: how do you think about the overall innovation quality control versus scale because china does scale Yeah, they do scale fast
0: uh, they do do scale i think there's Uh, probably a willingness to be out ahead of the curve before you necessarily have uh, kind of an equivalent level of quality over in China, you know, kind of like sort of marketing out ahead of the curve. Clearly there's some of that in, you know, the the United States and in particular Silicon Valley to be candid as well. I think the other area uh, where there's, you know, work to do on quality is there's a different dimension of kind of, you know, who do I trust and what do I trust in the entire Chinese sort of supply chain? So, you know, for instance, somebody would trust Alibaba's T-Mall as a place I could buy a good as a more authentic good than I would Pinduoduo, which is sort of the new upstart, you know, rapidly growing. But people say, oh, the the products and the quality of the products aren't as good on Pinduoduo and the experience may not be as good vis-a-vis an Alibaba T-Mall. So you get these big debates about quality and authenticity, even within the Chinese innovation landscape.
1: Would that be like Amazon versus eBay? The stuff on eBay is just crap? Oftentimes.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't comment on that personally, but uh, uh, but I think that, yeah, there could be I think there are, there are these different marketplaces and there's perceived quality differences in those marketplaces or there's perceived greater risk that I'm going to get a lesser quality product in different marketplaces. I think your question was a little more general, though about you know, what's the quality of the things being done. And I would say that rapidly here, the most interesting battleground, you know, Kai-Fu Lee is in a nice job speaking to this. He just had a recent book that, that covered this topic is around data, the turning of data into data models, the leveraging of modern algorithmic training techniques, and then the applications of those. So again, in shorthand, ML and AI, but it's a lot more sophistication, not just with voice data, but image data and text data and the models that I can build, and who's going to win that battle. And there's no doubt, two fronts, China has an advantage. They have a much greater population, so it should follow that they have more data to work with in building models. And candidly, they have more liberal uh, use of the data not only the data that corporate entity A or B or C has, but the government policies that allow them to do a lot of data, data, sharing your data with one another in order to build better models. So that could be a source of competitive advantage for them over time.
1: I would say there's probably two other sources as well because they're more mobile first. They will be generating more data than your average American consumer. And, and their government's willing to pour money into things that they think are important for the future.
0: Yeah, I think that that, that was my second point, but you're drawing it out nicely, right? Which is, yeah, there's, there's not only more liberal data Sharing between companies, but the government enables that, allows that. They don't, they don't, there's not policies, they're not kind of sort of cracking down on it. In some cases, the quid pro quo, I think, is that you also have to share that data with the government. Oh, right? I, I would imagine that. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, that's my pushed. example of WeChat, right? Because somehow in WeChat, you know, somebody's monitoring that I might be sending something that's a critique of the government, and then because of that, I get shut off from WeChat for four days.
1: Which is when that's your transportation and your way to shop for groceries <laughs> right. and your bank account and everything else. That's a exactly. that's a that's a tad bit of a timeout. Yep. So I, I know your focus isn't China. It's just I was reading the article and I yep. thought it was it was something interesting and fun to share. But you're you're Seattle, you're Northwest based. Tell me a little bit more about that ecosystem.
0: Well, uh, you know, uh, some people don't even realize that the number one and number two by market cap companies in the world are based in Seattle. That being Amazon and Microsoft. On any given day, of late, you know, one of them's number one and the other's number two. It happens to be Amazon this week, and so then you sit there and go, well, well, not just those companies, but are, what are those companies? Some of the best in the world at, and we tend to look at sort of four very interesting areas right now. One is cloud. Clearly, they're both the best in the world at that. The Next is this whole intelligent applications applied MLAI. They're pretty big players in that area too. And of course, there's a lot more than just the two of them. We'll get to that. Third is how do I interface with this stuff? Voice. Image, touch, and again, you've got you know the Surface team, the Siri team, the, you know the, the Alexa teams, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, is this interface between the digital world and the physical world, and whether that's you know Amazon Go, Amazon Books, again you know Amazon Echo shows things like that, or on the other side with Microsoft, you've got the augmented reality with the with the you know what they're doing with with AR, or you've got even like new partnerships like the one they announced with Kroger this week in their prototypical kind of automated store and Internet of Things. App. There's a lot going on in those areas just at those two companies, which are, of course, major anchor tenants. But there's also an incredible, almost endless number of major operations of other companies. So Google, over 5,000 employees in greater Seattle. In fact, one of our most recent big successful exits is a company called Heptio that VMware bought was a team that spun out of Google that created Kubernetes up here, which is a container management, container orchestration, container management technology for cloud. But you've also got a big Facebook office, including both the advertising side, but also the Oculus side. Apple is dramatically expanding. They bought a couple of our companies and now they've really expanded their MLAI, you know, center of excellence up here. So and then I could talk about Baidu and Alibaba and, and a whole bunch of other EMC, you know, Dell companies like that. What's important then is that you have this incredible entrepreneurship ecosystem. You know, happily for us, we've been involved with a lot of those success stories, you know, companies like Isolon, SmartSheet, AppDo, Redfin, you know, etc., but there's many others too, you know, Expedia spun out of Microsoft from Expedia Came Zillow. Those are some other good success stories. You got companies like. DuLily. You got companies like Tableau, but he's like a concur. They got bought by SAP three or four years ago for $8 billion. So we really like that ecosystem in cloud, software, machine learning in certain areas of consumer. And we're fortunate to be a part of the you know part of the system in terms of helping great entrepreneurs and their teams build companies.
1: Do you see any kind of valuation difference between Seattle or Northwest-based companies versus Silicon Valley or New York City?
0: I think it, there might be a, a, a modest difference uh, in that area. I don't think it's a big driver. I I mean, I think there's, there's a little bit of a supply and demand thing that probably works to the disadvantage of the entrepreneur there That. You know, there's a lot of, especially at the early stages, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, like having people that are local. There's not too many folks like us up here that are indigenous and working hard and, you know, helping roll up our sleeves and build companies every day with entrepreneurs. You know, in the Valley, there's, I don't know, you know, somewhere between, depending on how you count it, you know, 50 and 100 venture capital firms that are based there. And New York doesn't have quite as many as Silicon Valley, but they certainly have more than Seattle. So I think there's a little bit of a supply demand thing. That probably creates a little bit of a difference in valuations, but that's not—I don't think it's a material factor. And at the end of the day, I think you know any good venture firm and any big aspiring entrepreneur—they're trying to trying to play big and build something of big value over time, anyways. And you know a lot of that gets lost in the noise of valuations.
1: Yeah, that's uh, often if you're arguing over that, you're arguing over the wrong thing. Yeah. What uh, what industry outside of what we've talked about today are you most excited about and why? Yeah,
0: it's a it's a great question. I am uh really interested in taking this you know area of a applied machine learning and applying it at the edge. And so how do I take models that can help me with natural language processing, with voice, with image recognition, and run those models on my you know, AirPods or on my, on my security camera at my home or on my car, or all these different places that tend to have less compute resources, memory, power, storage, processing power, et cetera. And so how do I do that? Uh, we, not surprisingly, we have a pretty early stage, but incredibly exciting company called XNOR, X-N-O-R, that is working on that. And this team Comes out of uh, the Artificial Intelligence Institute here that Paul Allen has funded and will continue to, you know, his his foundation will continue to fund. So that's a that's a very interesting area. Uh, I think we're going to see lots of pl- applications in the home, in the car, in, in industrial uses, some government uses, much more liberally back to our China conversation there with companies like SenseTime and Base Plus Plus and Momenta and all. But I I think you'll see some good practical applications here in the U.S. and 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 around the country.
1: And what about things that worry you? They can be trends, they can be industries, they can be technologies.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, I think that uh, I I do think one of the things I I kind of, you know, laugh a little bit about this is, you know, when I started in venture 18 years ago, uh, a seed round was less than a million bucks and an A round was maybe two to four million dollars and a B round might be eight to ten million dollars. And now we've got this thing called pre-seed and then there's seed. And I don't know if people think they're fooling people on all this, but it's just, it's sort of silly naming and kind of, the, the, the basic point is going from, you know, kind of style to substance, you know, we tend to be more substance oriented. And, you know, and, and so in, in that particular example, if people are trying to rename rounds because they're trying to say, oh, I want to be able to go out and get an A round from somebody after I've raised six or $7 million, I think people I think people in the venture world should be able to see through that. But it's a little bit of this kind of calibrating the hype versus the ground truth, you know, the sizzle from the substance and making sure you're always focused on substance. That's kind of my one general observation. The other thing I'd say is, look, you know, we have our CEO summit every October. Uh, We did again this year. And on the one hand, we sort of put up the Lego, you know, uh, movie theme song. You know, everything is awesome and things seem to be quite awesome there. And then we kind of reminded them that it was 10 years almost to the day from the 2008 meltdown. And that, you know, economic cycles do happen and you've got to be prepared to understand your unit economics. You need to be prepared to have your disciplined what would happen in a down, a, a sustainable down cycle. What's our plan B on operating plan for the year? let's know it in advance. Hopefully, we just put it in a drawer, and we don't have to take it out. But that was kind of the discussion we had back in October. Little did we know that we then had one of the worst quarters in the stock market. And again, the stock market will have its ups and downs, you know, in Q4 of, you know, in the last decade. But you know, I think I'm not too concerned about the economy, actually. But I'm certainly concerned about, you know, that our teams are prepared, should there be some kind of exogenous event that drives an economic downturn.
1: Yeah, failure to plan is planning to fail. And the real estate values are already higher than they were at the point of the bubble. So yep. there's definitely there's definitely certain things out there. S- student debt. We have a fun trade war. Lots of fun stuff that could potentially cause problems for us. Those
0: are valid issues. Yeah, asset bubble. You know, debt. I mean, that's an issue in China too. By the way, they've got a.
1: Oh, it's a big one in China apparently yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, we will, and then they have all our debt. So we'll see. That's a fun little situation. <laughs> what uh, what resources, blogs, podcasts, etc. Do you go to on a daily, weekly basis to stay informed?
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. I am a fan of Ben's strategery. I think that's a really great uh, piece I also like the information I think they do good work uh, they do a good job I'm you know also on the uh you know you know uh, pitch book has got good regular information uh, you know that we like to stay on top of to see some of the trends uh some of the big investment banks provide some good research for some of our generally some of our later stage companies from a little bit of sector deep dives. I like the 451. I think they do really good sector deep dives on private companies. But I would say most importantly, it's spending the time with our entrepreneurs, spending the time with folks in the ecosystem, you know, believing that every time I meet with somebody, I hopefully add some value to them. And I try to always learn something back. And if you have that kind of mindset, I think there's a lot of good exchange of information. And back to the fact that, you know, we've got some of the most successful companies in the world at all stages here in our region. I think it's, probably a little easier, maybe a little unfair advantage that we have that we can have that kind of access to, to people and information. But hopefully we're also providing some value back every step along the way.
1: Yeah, karma's a bitch unless you're a good person and then it's, <laughs> and then it's beautiful. And I, yeah. uh, I wanna thank you for coming on here and sharing some good karma. I got one last, two last questions for you. First, you gotta pick a public and a private company. 10 years from now, you hold it, 10 years. What would you put a quarter of your wealth in and why?
0: Ah, uh, those, are, those are really good ones. Well, I'm on the board of Smartsheet, so I probably shouldn't pick that one. Uh, although I'm a big fan of Smartsheet, it's a great company. Um, look, I am a long-term bull on on Amazon. I really think that's an innovation factory. Um, you know, I would have would have liked to have bought it six weeks ago, right? Uh, I We're very close to that company, so I just had sort of a personal policy of not investing in it, because I know too many people too closely there. But having said that, I, I have tons of respect for the company, and I, I think that it's, a, it's gonna be a great business 10 years from now. My short would probably be uh, IBM, actually. There could be a few things that could happen there that would change my point of view on that, but I'm skeptical that they can be an enduring, lasting business over the next decade. Uh, So you didn't ask for a short, but I'll give you a short as well as a long on the 10-year time horizon. Uh, gosh, on the on the private companies, it's kind of a little unfair to talk up your own shop. So I'll try not to do that. I uh, you know a company that I have a lot of respect for is a company called Databricks. This is uh, the team that built Spark out of the Berkeley Amp Lab. They've done a very nice job of executing on being true to open source, but building an enterprise commercial product, providing it as a managed service on top of the cloud, and increasingly going from kind of data streaming into a, interesting ways to take some of that stream data and, and do applied machine learning models and and build you know kind of, you know, intelligent applications. Really great company, wish we were investors in it. Another one of our companies that we are investors in is Snowflake, which will be a phenomenal company 10 years from now too.
1: Everybody likes a cute little snowflake. Thanks yeah. for coming, thanks for coming today, Matt. Last one, you gotta leave people with one thing, a quote, a call to action before you let them know where to find you, what would it be and why?
0: Well, I, I you know, I, I'm a big believer that uh, in companies, uh, you know, in entrepreneurs that being customer centric and being you know, endlessly curious and finally being humble, that that's a, that's a magical combination customer centricity, curiosity and humility. So that's, those are, I've got ways of looking for that in people um, in, you know, maybe that doesn't ring true to folks, maybe it does ring true to folks, but it's, it's served, you know, me and, and us here at Madrona well over the years.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good framework. Speaking yes. of, where, where can people find you and say, hey?
0: Oh, uh, sure, it's, uh, you know, at mattatmadrona.com in an old fashioned way, Matt McElwain on Twitter, still probably the best two ways you know linked in all the other usual suspects too and then of course as you mentioned earlier uh i'm on medium as well and occasionally we'll put out a blog post there
1: yeah the china one was great it was hugely underappreciated in my opinion thanks uh yeah. thanks for coming on today matt hopefully this will encourage people to check out your stuff and to be curious because curiosity is the, the exactly. is, is the key to something yeah yeah sweet cheers guys Thank you. hope you enjoyed it syndicate.vc for all the show notes and stuff until next time before we get started i want to tell you about today's show sponsor send pro online by pitney Bowes. they help easily compare rates with the Postal Service, UPS, and FedEx all in an online tool and you can print labels and stamps on your own printer on demand. Plus, they'll send you a free 10-pound scale so that you can measure and make sure you never pay more than you need to when you're shipping products to customers. I know we got killed on shipping when I ran my previous e-commerce company, and I thought this would be super beneficial for a lot of listeners out there to have a better option, a better way to do it. If you go to pb.com slash angel, you you can get a free 30-day trial. And then after that, SendPro online, is only $14.99 a month. It's a great solution for e-commerce companies that have to ship a lot of goods. Thanks for listening to The Syndicate the podcast where angel investors and VCs go off the cuff and discuss the ins and outs of the venture ecosystem. We're here to share the tips and tricks of the best in the business because startups and tech make the pie bigger. To learn more about us and what we do, visit thesyndicate.vc. And to join our syndicate on AngelList, just go to join and get access to some of the best startup deals. This has been another episode of The Syndicate. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys again next week.